WNYC Studios is supported by Zuckerman Spader. Through nearly five decades of taking on high-stakes legal matters, Zuckerman Spader is recognized nationally as a premier litigation and investigations firm. Their lawyers routinely represent individuals, organizations, and law firms in business disputes, government, and internal investigations, and at trial. When the lawyer you choose matters most. Online at Zuckerman.com. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Uh, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <coughs> you're listening, listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. Shorts. <laughs> From WNYC. Yes. And NPR. Hey, I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krilwich. This is Radio Lab, the podcast. And um, here's what I want to do today. You know, we just did the hour-long uh, show about the Galapagos. Yeah. And in the middle of that show, we hit on this idea that there are so many of us on the planet now doing so many different things which affect the air and the water that the creatures on the planet um, can no longer really be uninfluenced by our presence. They can't be truly wild. And that made me wonder, well, if you want to give the other creatures on Earth a little more room to be wild and independent, then what do we have to give up? In fact, how much are we willing to give up to make that happen? Uh, whew, I don't know. These are, these are tough questions. <laughs> um, I mean, you know I'm not good at the answer part, right? <laughs> Just, uh, read so book. this is John Moalem. Uh, I'm John Moalem. I wrote a book called Wild Ones, and I'm a writer with the New York Times Magazine. And being a writer, he, he told me a story. Now, this is a story which sheds some light on this question, but I think you'd have to say it's a difficult light. So um, there was a, a family of whooping cranes that had been part of this. The story revolves around a project to create a wild flock of whooping cranes. One of the most spectacular birds in the world. It's five foot tall, it's pitch white, you know, with black wingtips, got a seven foot wingspan, beautiful flyer. This is Joe Duff. I'm the uh, co-founder of Operation Migration, the current CEO. Now we've done a story on Operation Migration before in Radio Lab, but here's the, here's the gist. At one point, the whooping crane population in North America was down to like 15 birds, just one flock. So Joe and a bunch of other folks decided to, to see if they could start a new flock of cranes. So they raised some cranes in Wisconsin, and then they teach them a new migration route to Florida by leading them there in an ultralight airplane. Yeah. Joe, in addition to being founder and CEO, is also the lead pilot. Right. And how long have you been? You've been doing this for a while, right? Um, I started flying with birds in 93. 20 years. And the key to this whole project, Joe says, is... To eliminate all things human. And these are wild creatures. You know, we do this whole thing in full costume so the birds don't hear voices, they don't, uh, they don't see buildings or any other human paraphernalia in, or, in order to maintain their wildness. Joe even wears an all-white, crane-like costume when he's up there in the ultralight, leading the birds down to Florida. And when they get to Florida... The cranes are supposed to, you know, they're brought to this um, Chazahowitzka National Wildlife Refuge. It's a coastal wetland. It's all uh, salt marsh. In the Tampa area. And the birds are put into, uh, it's called a release pen. It has uh, 12-foot high fences protected by electric wire. But the whole complex is not top netted. And so um, after a while, the birds realize they can fly out. Then they go seek out their own territories. It's called a gentle release into the wild. Or the not-so-wild. 
And here's where the problem starts. It's the winter of 2007, and we've got a a particular bunch of cranes. This family, they were called the first family because they were the first um, cranes in the population to have a a chick that they led south. The first wild hatch migratory whooping crane in the U.S. since the last nest was reported in 1878. And these cranes had wound up in um, in this little subdivision. A uh, wetland complex that was surrounded by houses. It was perfect crane habitat. It was, it was basically a marsh. It just so happened that it was in this, this woman's backyard. And so the, the, the birds, which had been the product of this you know, very intensive effort and tons of money. Hundreds of thousands of dollars an hour. Um, to be wild whooping cranes were now just in her backyard. And there was, there was free food there. She had all these bird feeders, this whole array of different bird feeders up around her yard. And that's not a good sign. Why is this a problem? Well, the problem is we're worried that the birds are going to become acclimated to people. To be really safe, Joe says these birds should be afraid of people. Six of them have been shot, you know, by vandals. Six birds have been shot? Six whooping cranes have been shot in this project by vandals, yeah. So what do you do? We ask the people to stop um, feeding them. Do you have like a a reverse phone directory or you have a... a, Well, we track the birds. They're all tracked. And so they knew exactly where where they were. And they were able to figure out that the cranes were in the backyard of someone named Ms. Gibbs. Clarice. Clarice. Yes, Clarice Gibbs. And, uh, you know, they knocked on, on our door and, and explained, you know, the whole ins and outs of the project. And would you please take your bird feeders down? And uh, she, said, she said no. No? Yeah. Why would you say no? Well, John, talked to the people who went to see her. And... You know, they didn't say crazy, but you got the sense that there was this, you know, crazy old bird lady who lived in this house who, who would not take her feeders down. They told John that she, they thought she was acting kind of erratic and, uh, and that things just kept getting worse and worse. And they had actually gone and, and put a plastic fence around one of her feeders at one point. It was, she, they had thought she had given permission, but she had no memory of that. So it, it, got, it got bitter pretty fast. And so John decided, I'm going to go talk to this woman. Yeah, so I, I was sort of girding myself for a, you know, crazy old bird lady who lived in this house, but I, but I went to go see her and, uh, you know, it was, it was a, how do I even talk about it? I mean, it was a really emotional day for me. Um, we sat at her, at her dining room table and she was having a lot of trouble remembering the exact chronology of what had happened when, um, she, uh, you know, she said, excuse me, I, I'm just, it's hard for me to kind of piece things together around that, around that time. And, uh, and basically the story emerged. At that time, uh, Oh, gosh. When we heard that story, we decided we needed to talk to Clarice ourselves. So we called her up out of kind of the blue and asked her if we could record the conversation. Record, we would love to do it. Well, no, it wouldn't bother me at all. I wouldn't mind. Okay. So you were about to. Clarice will tell us her, I got got to say, it's a sort of surprising version of this tale in just a second. My name is Zachary Esimov from Sarasota, Florida. Radiolab is supported in part by the National Science Foundation and by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Radiolab is supported by Betterment. Let's talk about you and your money. You like your free time. You like to relax every now and then. You like to feel totally chill. But your money, your money likes to work. And Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. While you're catching up on sleep, your money is up early, earning 11 times the national average in a high-yield cash account. Your money is a multitasker, diversified in expert-built portfolios of low-cost ETFs. And your money is optimized with automated tax-efficient strategies, just like the pros use. Your money is a total workhorse, so you don't have to be. Because you've got Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. 
Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week, we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, and we, we've just called up Clarice Gibbs. No, it wouldn't bother me at all. I wouldn't mind. Okay. So you're about to say that you, you're... First of all, the description, you, how many bird feeders did you have in the backyard, would you say, roughly? Um, at that time, uh, I think I had two or three in um, an oak tree that's here in our backyard. And where we live is, um, it's just, you know, it's a peaceful area and birds like things like that. They don't like to be around a lot of congestion and stuff. And uh, we enjoy them. Well, I say we, um when my husband was alive, we, you know, we both enjoyed the birds and feed everything. This day. is where the story flipped for me, because when those conservationists were knocking at Clarice's door, her husband, of more than 50 years... He, he had Alzheimer's, um, and they were sort of hunkered down at their house waiting for his, for his life to end. Yeah, this was, this was before, uh, you know, the Alzheimer's took him really bad. And what they were doing was spending a lot of time on their back porch, looking at the birds. And we would come out here and sit with our tea or lemonade. Um, he, would, uh, he would just kind of watch. Our back porch, of course, faces the lake. We have a beautiful yard. We have oak trees. And as I'm sitting here talking to you, there's all kinds of birds around right now feeding. Huh. Um, we even have sandhill cranes that have two babies with them. So um, Clarice and her husband would be there on the porch, and, and if, if you have had this disease in your family, you know how painful it is, because here's her husband, and he is just disappearing a little bit and a little bit more, and then he's mostly not there. But when a bird or a bunch of birds come by the bird feeders, from wherever he was, he's back. As soon as he would spot something, he'd say, babe, there, there's, there it is. There's the hummingbird. And when the whooping crane showed up, big and white and wild. That would really get his attention because they are such big, beautiful birds. You know, I could see the, oh gosh, like a happiness in his eyes. And he would smile. Oh, to me, it was like, you know, he he came back to me for a little bit when... When he would see things like this, it would just, it would make him so happy and it would make me happy too to see how it affected him. I'm sorry, I just, I, I, I I get kind of choked up when I talk about him. We were married for 56 years when that disease took him and it was hard, hard. From her point of view, it was like a miracle to see a bird like that. And, and the way that her husband responded to them and just, you know, the way that, that they took his breath away um, when really, you know, he wasn't responding to a, to a lot else in the world. It's a blessing 
you know, when when they seem to recognize things and and then you lose them again, you know? Yeah. So that's why when the crane people showed up at her door and said, please take the bird feeder down, she said, no. You know, I left that house uh, just, you know, I just couldn't figure out um, how to make sense of it all once, it, once I'd left. Have the people who visited her, having read your account, have they changed their minds at all about her or what they do? Because it's a toughie, this, this situation. Yeah, I'm sure they would still believe that the birds shouldn't have been fed, but I don't know if they would be any more sympathetic to her now. ...desire to see her husband, and these birds, oddly enough, are the trigger. Mm -hmm. So I told Joe Clarice's story. So now what do you say? Well, you know, my father died of Alzheimer's, so I can respect exactly what she's going through and how difficult it is. However, the cost of that is the demise of a bird that that other people have spent a huge amount of time in 24 hours a day, seven days a week for that entire bird's life until it was a year old, putting in the wild to help save a species. But, but if you put yourself in her shoes, she says, she, by the way, was very careful. I, I was very, very emphatic that, that we didn't mess with the birds because I knew they didn't want them being confronted with, with people, you know, they... Because they are a wild thing, and and uh, it's it, it to me it, it it I don't know I we've always loved nature, we've just always loved nature and and the wildlife. So she stayed where where she felt you'd want her to stay, but it's a hard one to ask that she give up a glimpse at her husband for the sake of the birds. I suppose. I'm a little more pragmatic than that, unfortunately. Hmm. You would want you would have him make an exception for her. Well, at the very least, I would have him I understand think she, that she's in a unique place. That he's no, I don't think it's unique. Well, I, maybe she is in her particulars, but that is precisely the problem he has to deal with. It are people like her? She means well. We all mean well. It's not a case of like people with guns shooting these birds. I mean, that does happen, but I don't think that's the big problem. No, these are two people who both love the bird but can't agree on something about right. it. Right, and he's saying in order to love the bird, you have to negate, you have to just, you have to disappear. And we can't, as human beings, we don't seem to be able to do that. We all have our own personal requirements, and we put those over and above anything else, including wildlife. And that's why wildlife is, is in such peril. He's asking her to say goodbye to her husband for the sake of a bird species. I know. It's, I just worry that if everybody in the world is like her, then those birds don't have a chance. I would love it if these birds could just exist on their own somewhere in, 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 in deep water marshes where they don't ever encounter people, but that's never going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And that's the struggle. It's never going to go away. You know, no matter what, no matter what happens with any of these species conservation projects, we're not going to strike some balance where we never have to think about the power that we're exerting in the world. This give and take, that's, that's what it is. That's the end game. It's, it's that forever.
Special thanks to Simon Adler, who, uh, who, who ferried us through this whole project, and also to John Moalem, whose book, The Wild Ones, is uh, the source of the story. I am Robert Krulwich. Chad Abumran. We'll be back next time.